composing the mind-body, Pachubana Tamma. The here and now. Uh, the sound of silence, the the um, the body itself in that silence and the breath. What I'm pointing to is that once you uh, detect or recognize this uh, sound of silence, and that that gives you that what I call ground zero position. It uh, it you know because it's here and now. It's subtle, and it's on the you know we have many. Some of you might not notice it. But it is expansive, has no limit, this, this uh, sense of infinity, uh, no boundaries, and it contains everything. So just reflecting in this way the, the, the relationship of the unconditioned to the conditioned. And there's a, a quote I often use from the scripture uh, from the suttas, if the statement, there is the unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, unconditioned. So the Buddha makes the statement, there is. And this you, you can't imagine, you can't, you know, it's, uh, it's spoken through with, you know, referred to through negation rather than through positive affirmation. <coughs> but the affirmation is, the words themselves are negations, but the statement is a affirmation. There is this. And so therefore there is an escape from the born, the created, the condition, the originated. And so that is uh, the born, the created, the originated, the condition, these are the five khandhas. <coughs> you know that you think, uh, your memories, your uh, even sense consciousness, as referred to in, this, in the uh, five khandhas. And if there, there was no uh, unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated, then there'd be no escape from the born, the conditioned, the created, the originated. Now this is a statement of, of repetition, but it's also uh, pointing to this reality of here and now. Now, when you when you think about the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unoriginated, you know, your mind kind of stops, at least mine does, because you know it's uh, 
it's not something that you can imagine in a form because thinking itself, the thought process in the conditioned phenomena is limited to itself. It can't get beyond itself. So, you know, trying to, the, the only way uh, with language that can refer to the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated is through negating the born, the created, the conditioned, the originated. And that's because of the limitation of language. And what I'm trying to point to is just how, you know, don't bind yourself to concepts, words, memories, thoughts, identities, opinions, views. These are all conditioned, created, they're born, they have an origin. Because if you do, then there's no escape from them. They just one just caught in that vortex of of that of birth and death. So in the quote from the Dhammapada, Apamado Amatabadang, being mindful, heedful is the path to the deathless. <coughs> So it's as simple as that. And the path to the deathless is here and now. It's through mindfulness, through sati sampachanya, that we recognize this path. Not through, you know, seeing it as an object, but recognizing it, realizing. Uh, not through uh, a perception, but through the reality of it very present here and now. And then the quote uh, from the scripture goes, but because there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated, there is the escape from the born, the created, the conditioned, the originated. Uh, that can sound like you know, it's uh, the formulation in words, but I, I, I find that the most kind of perfect statement pointing to liberation that you could possibly create with a thinking mind. Because it's not dealing with, with the kind of, uh, you know, it's not putting it in context of, of uh, metaphysical kind of speculations or philosophical uh, ideas, <coughs> but pointing always to the reality of here and now. And that's the fact that there is the, the, the Buddha in the scripture, the, the traditional Pali scripture, uh, said this very clearly in a very clear formulation in words. Then the <coughs> for us, <coughs> who uh, are practicing, now say, they, what they call bhati-bhata, or the putting, it in, putting this into practice. So in the scripture, they, they have the, the three levels, bhariyati, which is the, the uh, 
academic side. The actual statement there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated. That's a, that's an abariati statement, scriptural statement. Just like uh, uh, dukkha, there is dukkha in the, the first noble truth. Isn't it? That's a, what you call bariati dhamma. They're like studying the scripture, learning the scripture, learning the, the basic uh, teachings as recorded in, in, especially in the suttas, is the bariati dhamma. Now that, that's, that's on the intellectual plane, that's a, an intellectual statement formulated in concepts, words. Then, uh, then the next level is bhati-bhata. One should realize this for yourself, recognize it. Put it into practice, not just think about it, whether think what it means, and and endlessly be caught in in the in the cycles of your thought patterns, because that's what happens if you just try to figure it out intellectually. Uh, you get stuck on that level. You know, it remains merely theory and ideas. You can't get beyond it through thinking about it or through analysis, or through criticism, or doubting, or arguing about, you know, people have different ways of interpreting words. And there's so many different views in, in the Theravada tradition about what these really mean. Just like the, the word dukkha, isn't it? So I don't know how many boring discussions I've had to listen to about what is the perfect English equivalent for the Pali word dukkha. <coughs> because uh, there is a kind of wanting to get, you know, precision on that level of variety dhamma, you know, the exact English equivalent to the Pali word dukkha. And then then we use the uh, the most common one, of course, is suffering, and that then people well, that's not a very good translation. They try to get it into more like dis-ease or unsatisfactoriness or different <coughs> English uh, words that one might prefer. But but to me, that's not the point. Trying to find the perfect English equivalent. English is a very different language. Than Polly. English is a kind of living, changing uh, language that you know, changes very quickly. You know, in in the present time, the different meanings and that that we give importance to various concepts in the English language. Where Polly is a is a dead language. It's not not a living language, but it is. Uh, so it's it's kind of frozen in time, but that also is valuable because it because it, it's not a matter of of reviving Pali as some kind of living way of of thinking and and uh, rationalizing, it. but with a with a dead language like Latin, uh, 
Pali, Sanskrit, these kind of preserve something because they're not used in market, they're not market languages, classical languages. <coughs> so as we, we did in the, with, with the, reflecting on the first noble truth, then the uh, Bariate side is there is dukkha, dukkha should be understood. Now that's the bhati bhata. That's the prescription, what to do about it, not just just spend your time trying to find the perfect equivalent for the Pali word dukkha or, or get in long discussions about what that really means and, <coughs> and uh, write essays on it and just go around and around with, ver- with you know, with various people's views and opinions on that level. It just is, uh, you know, missing the point. Like, like trying to, to, you know, having the key to the prison cell, um, which you say this is the key to get out of this prison cell, and, uh, and all you do is, is kind of uh, speculate about the nature of the key. It's not, you know, you, you'll never get out. If you don't put it into the lock and turn it, then open the door. So, if you just worship the key or or speculate about it or you know describe it endlessly, trying to fully understand the key on the intellectual level, you'll never you'll never get out of the prison. So Bhattipata then is uh, is putting it into practice, putting the the key into the keyhole, finding out which way to turn it, you know, which way does it go right or left or whatever. And that's through that's Bhattipata. And in uh, Thai, just ordinary Thai parlance, they they call Bhattibhat is the Bhattibhata is a, just a, a common word used in in Thailand, in the Thai language. Is one who practices meditation. Lumpur Cha said, we said we're Bhattibhat, monks who practice. And there's this also the Prabhariyat, those who just study the scriptures. So in the monastic universities in Bangkok and that, they have so, em- so much emphasis on Bhariyati Dhamma. Monks spend years learning the scriptures uh, on the Bariati level. Maybe they never practice it, put it into into practice, never get into Patipata. Now Ajahn Chah's approach was going right, more or less, you know, direct Patipata. He he didn't muck around with a lot of Bariati concepts. Uh, so his main main uh, emphasis and reflection was always on the this four noble truths, putting it into practice. So that when you know his his Dharma talks were always references to these four noble truths, you know, 
putting them into practice, putting them to the test, putting the key into the keyhole, and learning which way to turn it, so and opening the door, and then the result. Then the third level is uh, bhati or the result of that bhati bata. So that's the if, that's the the kind of pattern in Pali Buddhism of the, the sequence. You know, the statement, the prescription, and the result. Now this is reflective, isn't it? The intellectual side is, is, is recognized and valued. And this is a statement there is dukkha as a noble truth, is, is a bariyati dhamma. Then the bhatibhata dhamma is the practice. So that's awareness, you know, cultivating this mindfulness, reflecting on. Unto under dukkha or suffering should be understood is the is the prescription for the first noble truth. So it tells us what we should do about it. There is dukkha, then you should understand it. But to understand suffering, you know, if you just think about suffering, you never really understand it. it remains abstract and and idealistic and and on that level people can have various preferences, definitions, uh, translations of dukkha and uh, you know some might agree some are better than others but that's not the point. The point is pointing to this dukkha you know not not trying to it didn't be defined that accurately in English it's just the suggestion itself uh, you know, the word suffering to me is is good enough because it does, it, you know, it, it points it, it it's pointing at my sense of dis-ease, uh, doubt, worry, anxiety, self-consciousness, anger, resentment, lust, greed, and all the rest. I mean, it's it's not, you know, it's 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 a just a reference point, pointing at, at a condition that, you know, if I didn't, if I wasn't practicing, wasn't interested in understanding the Dhamma, then I, my, re- my relationship to Dukkha was always of resistance, denial, or trying to get away from it, blaming it on others. Uh, you know, there's always these, these habitual reactions that one has to the suffering in this realm. Why me? It's not fair. Uh, Why should I suffer so much? Whose fault is it? And on and on like that. So just working on that level is you're stuck there. You never, you can't get beyond it until you understand it. So the the bariyati dhamma is dukkha should be understood. Understanding it doesn't mean just uh, having a, the proper definition in in the in the English language or in in another language, but it's uh, through awareness, through opening, through recognizing, through allowing, accepting uh, the experience of dukkha. 
here and now. It's not dukkha tomorrow or dukkha of the past. It's, it's, it's the, that which is happening right now. And I've never had any problem with that because uh, just uh, I could see the, the whole conditioning of my intellect was was uh, very much one of of uh, trying to get away, trying to find happiness, resisting the the dukkha I did feel, the insecurity, the anxiety, the worry the self-aversion, self-criticism, the fear, the anger, the, the, the desires, for the lustful desires, being not quite knowing what to do with that. And you get all kinds of moral advice from parents, from society about, you know, how you should, what's right and what's wrong and so forth, and what's acceptable in the society and what is not. <coughs> and all this comes from, from mere conditioning, not from bati bata, but from a cultural conditioning process that, that you just acquire from being born in the, with the parents you have in the society that you're born into. So bati bata then is, is uh, should be understood. Now in the, then the, this, this paradigm of four noble truths, then say the first noble truth and the fourth noble, fourth noble truth is the path of liberation. And then in referring back to the Dhammapada verse, Appamado Amatabadang, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. Amatta, uh, this Pali word means a deathless. Amatta Padang, Padang means, uh, translated as path or way. So, Amatta Padang, the deathless way. And then the, the second line of that Dhammapada verse, Pamado uh, Machunopadang, heedlessness, not being aware, not waking up, not being present, is the way to death. The Machuno, Machuno is, Padang means the way of death. So it's like, like when we're heedless, when we're caught in the delusions, these, this ignorance, then it's like we're, we're always, we're, we're bound to death. We're always dying in some way. This fear, anxiety, worry, uh, all these are like ways of, you know, it's, it's what death is all about. When we're attached to, to, uh, to birth and to condition phenomena, then, then the anxiety around death, all the worries, and of, even when life is, is at its peak of good health, youth, and success in the world, you know, if one doesn't understand or investigate reality, then there's always this, you know, 
what 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 will I do when all these these changes? When I get old, when my my loved ones die, when I, if I lose my money, if I am fired from my job, and you know, when I get old, will the, who will feed me when I'm 64? So even you know life at its its best on the condition level is 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 no escape from suffering. It 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 intends it, it tends to increase it. You know there's something about being successful that that makes you even more uh, worried about losing it. The more you you love and depend on others and attach to them and and that the more fear arises about losing them, isn't it? It's just, if, unless you're practicing patipata. Because we recognize even the world at its best, worldly conditions, condition phenomena at its very peak, at its very best, is changing. You can't take so much effort to even create the illusion of it as some kind of permanent state. Because, you know, instinctively we know that, that it's not. And so, you know, the kind of control freak mentality where you spend your life trying to control everything to keep the illusion of happiness, security, everything's okay illusion uh, in, in your consciousness because the, the fear that it's not so okay, that it's changing, and this present security, happiness, and success is is not sustainable. Only leaves us in a state of anxiety. <coughs> so, the patipata, and then the through that practice, we have the insight. We might not find the perfect English equivalent to the Pali word dukkha, but the insight is there is dukkha. Dukkha has been understood. means that we've accepted this. We recognize it. We know it. It is what, you know, it is what it is. We're no longer rationalizing it, avoiding it, denying it, blaming it on somebody else. We, we actually see it in ourselves. This this sense of this feeling, these, this, this anxiety, this self-consciousness, restlessness. <coughs> I always, you know, recognize that the, the pamado machunopadang, heedlessness, not paying attention, not practicing, not being present here now, is is like I'm I'm always caught in this in the it's like dying all the time. You don't need to be afraid of death because you're if you're heedless, you're always caught in conditions that are changing. Physical body or or emotional habits, sensory experiences. Uh, you know, there's no way you can keep them at their peak at their best. 
relentless, incessant, inexorable changing and nature of conditioned phenomena is the reality of that insight into that reality. <coughs> the nature, in other words, of conditioned phenomena is anicca. And it, because it's always changing, then what, where, what can you find in it that you can claim, you know, is really mine, me and mine? My nationality? My body? My identity as a person, my position in the society, my my feelings. My feelings change according to uh, change accordingly, whether it's uh, a sunny day or a rainy day. Just noticing yesterday morning, looked out at a pure blue sky, not a cloud in the sky, sun brightly shining shining into my kuti. And there on the shrine of my, in my kuti is a little Buddha rupa that glitters when the sun shines, when the sunbeams hit it. it has, it's, it's made out of this kind of reddish uh, stone called golden sands. And when polished, then when the sunbeams hit it, it glitters. It's this kind of beautiful glittery effect. And so the, the blue sky, the morning light shining into the kuti, the sunbeams hitting this Buddha Rupa and the glittery effect it has. Certain feelings arise from that. In the, at least I noticed that I felt, you know, happy, pleasant. Vedana, Sukha Vedana. But then the weather in England changes very quickly, so then it. <laughs> <laughs> and so the mood changes very quickly, you know, you know because we're, you know, we are affected by, by whether it's sunny or gray and cold or. You know what time of the day it is. What if it's morning, midnoon, or afternoon, and that? The, the who you're with, how you're feeling. You know your health and so forth. These affect how I'm feeling. So I can't find any anything in in feeling that uh, I could really consider really me and mine because it's so temporary, so changing. So dependent. So this is reflecting, and this is like Bhattibhata, reflecting on the way it is. Now if I held on to all I want in my life are beautiful sunny mornings with clear blue skies, glittery Buddha rupas, and the feeling that comes from that. If that's my, you know, the ideal I have for what I want life to be as a continuum, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed, aren't I? Because that's just not the way it is. 
So the the awareness then is it, 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 it transcends that feeling. You know, it's aware of the feeling. It's accepting the feeling. It's it, you know, one can enjoy the feeling. You know, it's like it, but it's not holding to the feeling. <clears throat> the grasping out of ignorance is, I want this. I want it to stay like this. I don't want it to change, and that is the dukkha we create, even on, on when the when there's blue skies, morning light, and glittering Buddha images. It's you know, it's uh, this is a result of of these together. Then this this uh, pleasant feeling arises in consciousness, but <coughs> the awareness of it is not bound to that feeling, isn't it? It's reflecting on it. And by recognizing it, it's changing this, it doesn't, it isn't putting it down like, say, you know, it's not trying to say, well, it's going to change anyway, kind of wet blanket approach, just say, well, it isn't worth anything because it's going to change. That's the kind of, you know, negative projections and kind of, Dampening the the thing down before it even uh, before it changes naturally, you know. So one can just create a, a lot of project a lot of negative ideas onto positive experiences. You know, like being successful. Say, you're very successful, and we congratulate you. You win the prize, and and then the old kind of sourpuss inside says, "Yeah, but it'll change." And successful now, but it doesn't mean anything because it, you know people are admiring me now and congratulating me now. But in the future, they'll probably all condemn me again or I'll fail. And so even in the midst of of success, we sometimes can't even enjoy it. We can't allow it to be the way it is because of this uh, maybe habitual tendencies to to recognize that we might lose it and it's going to change. But the awareness then transcends that. You know. One can enjoy beauty. You know, beauty without grasping then is, is, is joyful. It's not, you know, it's what it is. Conditions for joy arise. Beautiful experiences are part of of conscious experience within these sensitive forms. So a relationship to it isn't one of grasping or identity, but of of um, awareness, receiving, recognizing. All conditions are impermanent. So when that really sinks in, then we no longer demand that they be permanent or even try. We give up trying to to bend the conditioned realm to our desires. That we, we then can be really with the flow of life in its various changing aspects. So even the miserable side of life, the pain, sickness, uh, failure, uh, disgrace, so forth. They're, these are all bearable conditions with awareness.
because they they change too. They you know, they're not permanent. They're not self. So it's it's uh, we don't create problems around the the movement and flow of conditioned phenomena because it's not mine anyway. It is what it is. Then, bhati-veti, the result of that, bhati-bhata, the insight, suffering has been understood. There is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated. There is the fourth noble truth. There is the eightfold path. There is the origin the Tukka Samudhaya. There is the Niroda, the cessation. And through awareness then we, we put ourselves in, in that position of ground zero, the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated. So that when I refer to the this sound of silence, that's my point. It, to me, it's ground zero. It's like nothing. I'm, there's nothing there. You know, to, don't try to create that, that vibratory sound into some kind of personal um, identity or achievement. It's a natural state, so it's not like, like something that, that I can claim and that I've, that is mine. <clears throat> In that recognition, and it, because it is expansive, and the, you know, then, then you might want to argue about, is that really unconditioned, unborn, and, and then we can get into a, a, a philosophical discussion about the nature of the sound of silence and the and then we're caught back into the into that realm of speculation, trying to figure out what it is with with concepts, with ideas, with scriptural positionings, with with interpretation, with views and opinions. So it's not a matter of defining it and calling it something or or dismissing it but recognizing. Now, now, in recognition of it, then it does have this. It is like, like the, the self disappears because you stop thinking. It'll, it stops the, the, the habitual thinking process. It's like uh, being shocked or you're asked to question you can't answer or it's, it creates a gap between the the linear movement of thinking at least this is a, you know I noticed this when I first uh, became aware of this sound of silence that the, the thinking of myself stopped you know there's a big gap there and a kind of nothing a gap is like nothing isn't it or just in in ref reference to space, visually, with the eye, 
space is nothing, you know, there's things in the space. But to, to really know space, you withdraw your fascination and opinions about the things in it and just recognize it. It's not, you can't get hold of it because it's here and now. It's not, you know, it's not something that, that you can say is red or blue or give it qualities of that you can condition phenomena, but it is it is spacious and it has no boundary. Just you know, using the the eye consciousness for that reflection. When you look space, it has no boundary. We put walls, you know, we build a temple with walls, but we think that space ends at where the walls begin, but that's not true when you contemplate it further. The, the, the actual the temples in space. So just by recognizing the unlimited, you know, this the the uh, just through reflecting on the the experience of visual consciousness, because with sight we, you know, space is all around us. It's here and now, <coughs> but we may not never really notice it because we're programmed and habituated to go from one thing to the next. Notice the people, the, the shrine, the pillars, the floor, the ceiling, doors, the windows, the colors, the light, and all the rest. And not consciously, but, you know, or look, recognize space, Except to some, well, it is big, yes, it's, it's a fairly big place. It's more spacious than the old Sala, isn't it? That might be the best we ever do with recognizing space. But that's not it, it's just not a comparison, but space, even in the Sala, even in your room or kuti, you know, has no boundary. So in uh, even in the 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 in word of the Buddha that we're using on the Friday afternoon, you know they talk about the four elements: earth, fire, water, and air, but they leave out space and consciousness. And these are these are very important too. The, the six elements, in other words, the earth, fire, water, and air elements are the condition, uh, you know, conditions. You know, you the five khandhas and the these are these are uh, you know boundaries of of uh, conditioned phenomena. So that the body and and the the things that come into consciousness are are limitations uh, and can be kind of analyzed with these four elements solid element, the earth element, the liquid element, the heat element, the air element, or the motion. And then space, consciousness, have, uh, we're getting those, uh, those elements in, as referenced in the scripture are unlimited. Space, consciousness, 
So then, you know, just reflecting on space, just on visual on the visual level, consciousness then. This sound of silence. Its consciousness is is you know is as a continuum at this moment. It has no boundary because I'm not binding it into uh, you know I'm not attaching to a condition uh, that that limits things. So when one lets go of conditioned phenomena, then the reality of consciousness is unlimited. So this uh, sound of silence has this has this uh, sense of boundlessness. Now first you you connect it with something in a kind of sound from the ears, because even the the word English word sound conditions us to think of it in terms of uh, ear consciousness. But when you when you stop when you let that one go, then it's more like it's a kind of resonating vibration, universal vibration, or whatever. It's everywhere. You can plug your ears up, and uh, still it's present. So noticing this, that which notices, you know, the puto the ability we have to reflect on the way it is this way then the concepts we have in in the Four Noble Truths uh, the Pali teachings are helpful in kind of emphasizing aspects or looking at it in this way or that way so one can look at the, the origin or the cessation the path these are just these are just expedient means, ways of looking, of, of reflecting, of examining, of investigating reality in the present. They're not, it's not to, to hold to them as, as on the Bariati level of one, two, three, four, and, 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 and be stuck in that programmed linear program that we, we're, we're used to because we're, Using a different function than the intellect, or bhattibhata, we're not intellectualizing it, but developing, recognizing, paying attention, observing, witnessing. Then the um, there is the unborn, uncreated. Unconditioned, unoriginated. So it could only be this. You know that which sustains itself that I don't create. Not saying that that as an object it is anything, but when a recognition of this, when there's this much, when the, when the grasping of things is no longer my reality and and I'm not creating interpreting experience through the self view there is this you know the consciousness you 
non-grasping, non-self, and it's nothing. You know, it's like nothing. It's ground zero, where the self view wants to be something, it wants to find something, wants to get hold of something that feels secure. You get, you say, prove it, you know, and show it to me. You have to prove God. You have to bring God into this room and say, this is God, I proved it. And there you see, and you're looking at a at something that that uh, you can call God. That's that's not reality, is it? That's using a different language. <laughs> <coughs> So, recognizing the ground zero, you know, is, is you know, this is, at first the, the conditioned reactions come up, you know, the doubting about it or, uh, you know, you might personally not even like it or be disappointed, it's not what you expected. You know, we do we do create illusions around ultimate realization, ultimate realities. It's absolutely fantastic, some absolutely fantastic experience. You know, of ecstatic joy that just permeates the whole universe. It's, these are, you know, ways of uh, of kind of expecting something grand, something magnificent. And nothing is isn't, is it? Not not like absolutely fantastic at all. So it can be very disappointing in terms of what you're emotionally primed to be expect in meditation practice. Blissed out of my mind, you know, like being on drugs. That <clears throat> So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, disappointment in practice. Because the way we, how we interpret the scripture can, can be, you know, move toward exaggeration, hyperbole, expecting something, you know, and then not being able to recognize the reality of this moment as is, because it doesn't seem like it's worth anything. So what? Emotionally, it's boring, isn't it? It doesn't titillate you emotionally. It doesn't wind you up into a state of absolute ecstasy and permeating with, with radiant joy as an ongoing reality. So meditation is... Uh, sometimes incredibly disappointing <coughs> because emotionally we, we're expecting what we're expecting we aren't getting what we want we can't we can't create we can't hold to we have moments and moments of bliss and all that but to sustain them to keep
keep them going through this ignorance is an impossible, you know, it's, it's impossible to do that. So this letting things die, this sense of death, and letting, letting condition, letting go of condition phenomena is it? Like letting, letting everything die in you, your ego, your, your, your hopes and desires. You think letting, not not killing them. It's not a, not a violent act. Not murdering or destroying, but it's letting things follow their natural course of arising, ceasing, and then a relationship to that rising and ceasing, to the death-bound world, is through awareness of it. That puts us at ground zero again, awareness. That embraces the process of birth and death, arising and ceasing. Then the butiwati of this reflection is <coughs> this, the the way of non-suffering has been developed. The fourth noble truth is there is the machimabhatibhata, the middle way, the eightfold path, the uh, way of, or translated, the way of non-suffering. And it's this, this recognition of ground zero, this nothingness that includes everything. It's not a nothingness that that denies everything. It's like space, isn't it? it? The space includes. Space doesn't destroy the things in space. But it includes everything in the, in space, whether you know the snake or the or the mosquito the angel, the devil, all these arise and cease. And space doesn't, doesn't prefer, you know, it's not evaluating what it wants in its, in its space. It's, it accepts whatever comes and goes in it. Same with this, this, then, this nothingness, ground zero, this, this is awareness, this emptiness receives. It's the ground of being where where birth and death can can happen. But one is no longer deluded by the arising and cessation of conditioned phenomena. So there is an escape. The escape is not running away from conditioned phenomena, but understanding it, letting go of it, allowing it to cease, and no longer identifying, making a, you know, creating a problem about it, or, or exaggerating, or denying it, what it is, but recognizing, realizing, letting go, and uh, cultivating this way of awareness.
So the result then is liberation. Liberation is just this much. So because there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unoriginated, there is the escape, the freedom, in other words, the freedom from the born, the created, the conditioned, the originated. Now this is, uh, you know, this is the, this is in the, in the Pali Canon, this is not just the Ajahn Sumato idea. And to me, when I read that years ago, it just inspired me so much, even though its formulation sounds a bit dreary, and I try to quote it, and what does that mean, you know, it sounds, but I, I wasn't looking at it in terms of some kind of inspired philos philosophical ideal, but just that statement, there is escape, there is freedom from this limitation of death, this binding, limiting to these uh, conditions, to the conditioned phenomena that, that I would tend to be, be bound into, tied to, imprisoned into, and there seemed no way out when was just stuck in this, in this way, in this pattern, in these fears, in this sense of self, like just paralyzed into it, imprisoned, enslaved to it, was there a way out of it? Was there freedom from it? And then the, in the Pali scripture, the Buddha said, there is freedom from this. So, in the Aparuta de Sangamatasa Taura, the statement, the Buddha said, there is a gate to the deathless. The gate to the deathless is open. <coughs> so these are proclamations, but they're, you know, to me these are really powerful proclamations because they point so that it's not, it's not, they don't have to wait for the next life or 10,000 more lifetimes as it might seem on a personal level. You know, I evaluate myself on the personal level. It, you know, I, I'm stuck there, and and the personality is, is a kind of force of habit. So it, it it tends to just reiterate itself endlessly, and it just kind of creates itself endlessly in the same old dreary pattern. So it seems hopeless on on a personal in a personal way. But getting beyond that is through the awareness, beyond the personality, the limitation of Sakyatiti Silabhattabharamasa Vichikicca, into seeing, knowing the, through, through Bhattibhatta, the result of that Bhattibhatta, Bhattiveti, is, is the liberation itself. Liberation is this. And that is budget tongue. 
to be, you have to realize that yourself. The Buddha did a brilliant job of pointing to it and, and creating the con, uh, useful expedient convention. But that's, but he couldn't kind of, <coughs> you know, enlighten anybody because this is something we have to recognize for ourselves. 